Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, again, good morning to you. Uh, You already know this, but my name's Andrew, and especially a welcome to you if you're joining us for the first time online or here for the first time. Uh, Whether you're a follower of Jesus, somebody of another faith, spiritually curious, we're so glad you are with us. Uh, We are going to get back into our series in the book of Romans this morning, so I do invite you to have a Bible out as we will be digging into God's Word. And um, really, we're at a point in our series where Paul has spent a lot of time in chapters 1 to 4 unpacking what Jesus has done. And now we're in a section where he's starting to tease out, what does this mean for you and me? What does this mean for the Christian life? What is this, this new life that Jesus has made possible by his death and resurrection? So would you open to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Romans 5, 12 to 21. And if you're using a pew Bible... You can find that on page 914. So let's get into our text for this morning. And I do invite you to have it before you, even at home, uh, because we really will be working through this text today. And let's give ear for what we're about to hear is God's word. Romans 5, verses 12 to 21, it says, Therefore... Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin, the judgment that followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word and we ask that you would send your spirit upon us. Help us to understand what it is that is being told us in this text and help us not only to understand but also to open ourselves to the life and the reality of which this text speaks like never before. Would you come and illumine our hearts and minds, we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, as we get into this text this morning, I want you to think about a time when you blew it. And not just a small thing like a, like a speeding ticket or you painted your room a certain color and then when it was too late, you were like, oh, this is not a good color. Uh, not something like, you know, you went with PC instead of Mac. Um, I know that's below the belt, but... Uh, Anyways, I'm in for it because this is a PC stronghold, uh, the people in this community, so um, go easy on me. Uh, but I mean like a big thing, like a big time you blew it, like a bad decision in a relationship, the breaking of trust, the betrayal of a friend, uh, a careless romantic encounter, a career choice that really derailed your direction or an unwise financial decision that cost you big. I mean, if you're human today, which I think we all are, you've got examples, right, of shame and of regret that you have from your story. And I, I won't ask you to share those things. Don't share it in the chat. Uh, but I will ask you this. If you could go back and change what you did or what happened, if you could go back and make it right or stop it before it spiraled out of control, would you do it? You probably would. Now, Today's talk is not about time travel, and I would not be qualified to give that kind of a talk anyway, but our text today does hold before us the claim that God has done something. God has done something of enormous importance to change the script of your life and of my life, uh, that he has undone our greatest failure and regret, and, and get this, not just for you, and you, and you, and you, but for all of humanity, collectively as a whole. This is huge. So what we're going to consider is what this text teaches about what happened to us as humans, what God has done about it, and what it means for us today. So what happened? Check out verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world, that's what happened. Sin entered the world. How? Through the one man, that one man being Adam, the first man in the Bible along with his wife Eve. And, and just if you rewind in the story of the Bible, you'll know that Adam and Eve were made in the image of God to live in friendship with God and even to reign with God over creation as stewards, as cultivators of the world. In Genesis 1.27, it says this, so God created Mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, what do we need to take away from this? He made humankind in his own image, meaning that they were made to reflect him, to reign on earth as God reigns, but to reign as his representatives of the king and creator. And there's this tension we see in, in the biblical story, in this account of what it means to be human, is that humanity is not God, but they're made in his image. And he made them good, very good. 
Now, I want you to note that the Hebrew word for mankind in that text, in Genesis 1.27, is the word Adam. Adam. It's where we get the name Adam. So Adam means humanity. And the reason I point this out to you is because in our text today, Paul is using Adam in this collective, representative sense to talk about all of humankind. Adam is the representative human. He's the one for the many. He's the one who stands at the beginning of the human line, who set the pattern for us. And not just the pattern for our creation in God's image, but also, sadly, the pattern of our corruption. And so there's two truths we need to take away from this that the scriptures always hold together. Two truths about humanity. First, the beauty of humanity and the brokenness of humanity. The beauty of humanity as made in the image of God, made good, made beautiful, but also broken in sin. And the scriptures always hold those two together. And what we see in our text is that the end result of what happened with sin entering the world is death. Sin entered the world, it says, through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. That's what happened. That's what continues to happen. And for all our advancements in tech and science, death remains the the frontier we cannot conquer. And not only this, but we feel and we see in the world the unraveling effects of sin. And, And it might be really tempting to like pin this all on Adam. Like, come on, Adam, you screwed it up for all of us. But we can't just do that because we're all implicated. We've all followed Adam's pattern. Uh, The brokenness that happened all the way back with Adam has continued to echo through the human line to today. And so that's why we experience, right? We have these regrets. We have our failures. And it's why we long for more, a different kind of life. Okay, so that's what happened. What has God done about it? What has God done about it? Check out verse 15. It says that God has given us a gift. The gift, he says, is not like the trespass of Adam. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? God has given us a gift. And the gift isn't a time machine to go back in time and fix our regrets. The the gift is one who would come and bring grace. The gift is God's gracious salvation. God intervening to rescue us from sin and death. It's gift. It's grace. This is a word that means we do not earn it. We are not qualified to receive it. Grace means we get what we don't deserve. So a year ago, we get a letter from the city of Toronto uh, informing us that when we had purchased our unit, the previous owner had overpaid on their income tax. And so like five years later, Toronto sends us a letter saying, hey, you almost owe us this many dollars. And my response was like, where's the grace? This was like five years ago. And my wife kindly reminded me that it's not in the nature of the city to be gracious. Have you ever experienced the gracelessness of bureaucracy and of accounting? 
I have. It's not in the nature of Toronto to show grace to people. They want what they want. Their accounts need to be leveled, but it's in God's nature. He is just, but he's gracious. In Exodus 34, 6, God announces to the people of Israel what he's like, and he says, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's what he's like. And so he gives us this gift of grace that we didn't earn and we don't deserve, and the effects of it are laid out in this text. And you might have noticed the repetition where Adam did this, so in Christ this, 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 this. And here are the effects. Instead of condemnation, we get justification. Instead of being sentenced as sinners, we can be made righteous. Instead of the reign of sin and death over us, it's the reign of grace. You see, for all the failure of Adam and the heaviness you felt as we read through those first two verses, from verse 15 to 21, it is this glorious summary of the victory of grace. And it paints such a different picture of the God of pop spirituality in our culture today. The God that people think is playing hard to get. He's hiding from us. He's calculating our lives, tabulating our our worth on his scales, and he's waiting for us to prove ourselves to him before he shows us love. That is not this God. This God is reaching out with grace. Uh, The gospel isn't that you need to get your life together so that God will love you. The gospel is God already loves you, and he saved you, and now he's going to clean you up. Grace. With the rise of virtual reality these days, there's a lot of talk about the metaverse. But I want to highlight a metaverse in the Bible because the Bible is just full of metaverses that speak truth to actual reality that we need to hear. So check this out, Romans 5, 8, and we considered this two weeks ago. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Grace is God loving the unlovely while they're still unlovely. It's God looking at you and I while we were still lost in sin and saying, I want him. I want her. She's mine. And I'm going to bring her back. And she doesn't even know it yet. And I'm going to do this not because anything she's done. I'm going to do it because of who I am. The Lord, the Lord, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God's gift of grace is really the gift of himself and who he is. That he would love us with such love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love that the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts. It's not this vague, fuzzy feeling. It is Jesus Christ dying for us. And that's the message that the Spirit pours into us and convinces us beyond a shadow of a doubt. In Romans 5, verse 9, it continues, and this is really, if if you're following with me today, these are the verses just before our text today. In 5, 9, it says, since we have now been justified by faith by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more 
having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Did you catch that? Saved through his life. I thought we were saved by his death. And we are. But what Paul wants to draw our attention to is how Jesus saves not only in how he died, but in how he lived his life and how he lives his life as the crucified and risen Lord. And this is huge because this is really what he starts to unpack in our text. How is it that we're saved by his life? And here's the key idea. If you're going to remember one thing today, this is what I want you to take with you. It's an idea that Paul and other theologians call recapitulation. Recapitulation. Now, that's a big word, but you can see in that word a smaller word, a recap, right? Some of you might watch the Super Bowl this afternoon. Some of you might not be super interested in the Super Bowl, and you'll watch a recap of it tomorrow. A recap is a, is a summary. And so in Ephesians 1.10, Paul actually unpacks the mystery of God's will, and it's to bring to unity or to sum up everything in Christ under heaven and earth in Christ. And the word here for that summing up, this gathering in of everything is recapitulation. Now, what does this mean? It means that the scope of God's salvation is not just our immaterial soul. The scope of salvation is everything that God has made, including our humanity. What it means to be human is taken up in God's great redemptive work. We're also saved through his life. Did you notice in our text the back and forth interplay between Adam and Christ? Both are the one for the many. Adam's failure brought sin and death to the many, but Christ's victory brought grace and life. These two figures stand at the head of humanity in two very different ways. Adam is the failed man, and Jesus is the God-man who undoes Adam's failure. Check out verse 19 with me. He says this, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. And what this is telling us and what the scriptures are telling us with the broad sweep of the biblical story is that at every point that Adam failed to be human, Jesus didn't. At every point that Adam failed to follow God, to obey God, to live with God, Jesus was victorious. He lived in unbroken communion with the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. He lived in unwavering obedience to the will of the Father. He lived a life of love and truth. And it's by his obedient life that all the failure of Adam has been gathered up and recapitulated by him. Recapitulation means that the sin of the first man is undone by the righteousness of the God-man. So a couple things, if you pay attention to the biblical story, just as Adam's sin involved the tree, so Jesus overcame sin by dying on a tree. Just as Adam said uh, sin led to death and bloodshed, so the shedding of Jesus' blood would defeat death. Just as Adam was tempted and disobeyed by eating in the garden, so Jesus was tempted and obeyed by fasting in the wilderness. 
Do you see the pattern here? This one's awesome. This is from theologian Thomas Holsinger Friesen. He says, just as Adam came from virgin earth, so Jesus came by virgin birth. You see the point. The failure of Adam is undone by Jesus. That's what recapitulation is all about. That's the idea that Paul is putting before us today. So let's illustrate this because this is so important. Many of you might know what this is. Some of you might not know what this is. This is a vinyl record. And uh, this record was made, it used to be just a hunk of plastic. It was made by getting pressed by an original master. So there is a, there you can see it on your screen, a, a, a copy of this, the original copy was made of metal and it was inscribed and it was mastered. Great care and detail went into it. And this record was made by being heated up and it was pressed in the likeness of the master and every single copy of this record was made in the same way. Now, let's say this record gets damaged. It gets corrupted. Uh, you know, you get finger oils all over it, or it gets dropped, or the kids start using it to play Frisbee. You, you get the idea. It doesn't work anymore. It's not playing the music of the master. It's a broken record. That's a picture of what happened to humanity. But imagine it could be rewritten. Imagine it were possible to go back over the grooves of the record and rescribe it from beginning to end, remaking it and making it even better, remastering it. That's what recapitulation does. Now, obviously, this is just an illustration. It's an analogy. But recapitulation means that Jesus has gone back over the entirety of the human story and he has redeemed every part of what it means to be human. In the words of Joshua McNall, he says, Christ relives, retells, and reconstitutes the human story as the true Adam. Adam as he was supposed to be. Jesus saved us by his death and his life. And this is why as a church and movement of churches, we believe that Jesus isn't only our savior, he's also our sanctifier. He's also our healer. And he is our king who is coming again. So what happened? Sin entered the world. What has God done about it? He sent Jesus, his son, fully God and fully man to relive, retell, and reconstitute humanity, to redeem us. And what does this mean for us Today, Well, at the beginning, we considered the question of if we could, would we take the chance to go back and get a do-over on our deepest regrets? And a lot of us don't just have those regrets in the past, but a lot of us are caught up actually repeating them. Whether it's a cycle of sin, whether it's a destructive habit in your life, whether it's the cycle of being hurt and getting hurt and hurting others, whether it's a cycle of, of sexual brokenness, and there can be this deceptive inner voice that we experience that tells us you cannot change. The script of your life is set in stone. You're doomed to repeat the sin of Adam. But I believe that this text is announcing to us this truth, that Adam was not the original man. Let me say that again. Adam was not the original man. He was the first man, 
He was the first copy, but not the original. The master, the mold from which Adam's image was pressed is Jesus Christ, the eternal son and word of God. In Colossians 1.15, it says this, again, another metaverse in the Bible. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So you might be thinking, well, Jesus came long after Adam. Yes, that's true. In human history, Jesus was born way after Adam, but from all eternity, the Son of God came first. And the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the image in which Adam was made. And not only is Jesus the original, but by coming and reliving and retelling and reconstituting the human story, he is the true Adam. He's not only the original, he's the fulfillment. And this means, for those of you who are caught up repeating the regrets of your past, for those of you who feel like the thing you're up against, there's no hope, this means Adam is not your master. Christ is. Adam is not your representative. Christ is your representative. He was fully human, which qualified him to represent us, but he's fully God, which qualified him to redeem us thoroughly, absolutely, from our sin and also from our shame. I really want us to hear this. There's no part of your life that Jesus is not willing and able to redeem for your good and for his glory. There's no part of your life that he is not willing and able to redeem for your good and for his glory. What Jesus did is universal in scope. Did you notice that in the text? That this is for all people, just as the one Adam affected all people, so the one Christ affects all people in his uh, work of salvation. It is universal in scope, but let me be clear, it is specific in its application that the gift that we're talking about here comes to those who put their faith in Jesus. The gift has been given, friends, but it waits for us to receive it. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, let me just say that all of this is such good news. You know when you have a book that you absolutely love and you have a friend who hasn't read it yet and you're like, oh, this is so good and it's amazing because you get to experience this for the first time. You're in that position if you're not yet a follower of Jesus because all of this is waiting for you. But the question that matters right now is where do you stand with Jesus? Have you received him? If you look in verse 17, it tells us what happens when we do receive him. Look there with me. It says, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, of the gift of righteousness, reign in life? Do you hear that? Reigning in life. I mean, you don't look very excited. This is like incredible news. That in Christ we reign in life, that, that if we receive him by faith, we get to reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Are you reigning in life? Reigning in life doesn't just mean you get to live the best version of your life. It means an entirely new life. The life of Jesus himself. 
the life he lived for you now being lived in you by his spirit. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, where do you stand? Have you received the gift? But if you are a follower of Jesus, you're invited to receive all that Jesus is. He's not just our savior, but he's our model. He's our master. He's our sanctifier, healer, and king. And he's shown us what it means to live a fully human life. And here's the good news, friends. It's actually within our reach. The life that Jesus is talking about is actually within our reach. He's not dangling a carrot in front of us like a donkey and withholding it from us. It's the life that he has brought within our reach through his death, life, and resurrection. It's within our reach because he has recapitulated all of humanity in himself and he has given us himself. Remember, Adam is not your master, Christ is. And what we need to know here and what this text brings out is how much greater Christ is than Adam. He is so much greater. He is so much more powerful. His grace is greater than our sin. His power is greater than the things that have you stuck and trapped. And we not only need to know this, but actually to step out and live as if this is true. Especially in the areas of our life where maybe we're looking more like Adam than we look like Jesus. Verse 20 says, Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And I just want to say, when it says grace increased all the more, the word increased does not do it justice. Like, it's almost like it's saying, like, sin is here and grace increased. But that's not the way of it. See, in in the original language, what Paul actually did is he made up a word. See, only the greats get to do that. Only Shakespeare gets to make up words. Only Paul gets to make up words. And I could imagine Paul just going, how do I express the inexpressible? How do I express the grace of God? He's like, I've got to make something up. There's just nothing here available to me. I've got to make a word up. And so what he did is he took the word hyper, like your kids are hyper when they eat way too much sugar. And he mashed that together with a word that already means means super abundance. And so he's saying where where sin increased, grace, hyper, super abundantly overflowed all the more. And what he's saying is, uh, you think there's a lot of sin in the world. You think there's a lot of sin in your life and you think it's powerful. The sin of the world does not hold a candle to the hyper, super abundant grace of God. It's not even close. Sin is serious. But grace is serious and substantial and super abundant where sin increased grace, hyper, super abundantly overflowed all the more. One last metaverse, if you'll let me. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the gift that Jesus gives isn't about living your best life, it's about receiving his life. And we are invited into nothing less than the life of Jesus. And we are equipped with nothing less than the power of Jesus. 
that we live this life by faith in him, in his presence, in his grace, and by his own spirit enabling us to do so, right? If all the Bible said was, hey, be like Jesus, we know. We're we're dead in the water. But the Bible doesn't just tell us to be like Jesus. It tells us that God himself is the one at work in us, giving us what we need to follow. So friends, today, are are we gonna receive this Jesus? Are we gonna enter in to everything that it means that his grace reigns now? It's not sin, it's not death. Adam is not our master or representative. Christ is our master and representative. There's a lot to think about and pray about, but before we go on from this moment, let's linger in a moment in worship. I want to invite the worship team to come as we continue to respond to God's word to us today. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the true Adam. You are the one for the many who brings in the reign of grace, and we thank you. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us to renew our faith in the Master. Would you come and strengthen our weak knees? Would you come and bring hope where we are locked into despair? Would you come and break through the chains that hold us back? Help us to surrender to your grace. Help us to live out this good news that Christ is our representative. Christ is our master. He has relived, retold, and reconstituted our life. And may we live his life. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.